All right. I'm Jeff Foley, and this is my story. Like many of you, I grew up in the church. And as a child, I heard many stories about how God wanted me to be good and moral and what I needed to do when I wasn't good and moral. Even though God loved me, I had to do something to earn his love. Do you have any idea how hard it is to have something ingrained in you from that, the earliest days only to be told you don't have to do anything? Okay, maybe you do. For me, though, that's been one of the hardest things to overcome. How am I supposed to just stop doing something to earn my forgiveness when that's all I've known? In today's world, how is that fair? I have no control over that, so that cannot be right. When I was in Marine Corps boot camp, I was a lay reader for my boot camp platoon. I said prayers each night and was to be a sort of spiritual sounding board. Part of the program was to go to a class each week led by the chaplain. For the first time in my upbringing, I started to delve into the Bible. Sure, in school, we would read scriptures, bits and pieces that were pertinent to whatever time of year we were in, but now I was reading whole chapters. We were asking questions about scriptures and not just getting traditional answers. Want to talk about getting confused? After boot camp, I pretty much stepped away from church for a couple of years. The program didn't turn me from my beliefs. I just needed a little time for them to ferment, I suppose. Then the Father put a very special man into my life. He made no bones about what the Bible did and did not say. He helped me to understand what I had been taught in the Scripture and how what I had been taught did and did not differ from what he believed. Most of all, he sat me down and promised me the Father loved me unlike anything I'd ever known. Not like anyone else, not even my mom, only like the Father can. He loved me so much that he sent his son to take on flesh, to come here and tell the world he loves us more than we can imagine, and I struggle with that. It was too good to be true until I started reading his word. Romans 4, 6 says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There are many more scriptures just like this that help remind me of just what a gift I've been given. I'm not going to lie, I still struggle with not having to do something to earn the Father's forgiveness. I must constantly remind myself of his unconditional love. Every day I pray about it. Some days it gets easier, some days not so much. But I know the Father has put others in my life to remind me of his love. I've been blessed with a church family that is on this journey with me. You all speak into, into my life on a regular basis. You share your struggles, your hurts, and your victories with me. Seeing Christ work in our lives and the sacrifice he made, the love he freely shares with us, I want to be a part of that, to show that and share that love the way Christ has shown us. Each day, by God's grace, it's easier to do. As the walls around my own heart come down, his love comes through. I'm Jeff Foley, and this is my story. That is the the same Jeff Foley who's doing the sign-ups for the men's retreat. So if the video scared you because of all the scary-looking characters in the video, you can see Jeff's normal. So just stay close to Jeff, and you'll be all right that weekend.
We've been finding Jesus in the Old Testament, coming to know him through the Old Testament for the last month. And uh, we had started by doing that through God's covenants and promises. Now, let's be honest now, that was a softball. If you're going to try to know Jesus through the Old Testament, probably the easiest parts of the Old Testament to, to see Jesus in are God's covenants and God's promises. So it was oh, totally worth doing, but the easiest part of what we have to do. Now we're going to turn a corner and we're going to see if we can know Jesus through God's law. Now the Old Testament law may be the hardest place to know Jesus through the Old Testament because the law says some crazy stuff, right? The law says you should cancel the debts of anyone who owes you money every seven years, even returning land that you acquired through foreclosure. So if you're a banker, that's not too cool. The, the law of the Old Testament says you should not work on the Sabbath. And I'm not just talking about not going to work on Sunday and not even in your own home. The Old Testament law says you should not eat meat that still has blood in it. Now, if that's to be taken at face value, my wife's entire side of the family is doomed. Bunch of Viking blood-eating savages. So... Uh, the, the, the Old Testament law says you should not shave the hair on the sides of your head. Now, in the 1950s, you couldn't even get into a church unless you had shaved the hair on the sides of your head. So that maybe was a huge mistake. Uh, and then there's all that stuff about clean and unclean foods. You, you guys have seen this, had some exposure to this. Maybe you have a friend now who's Jewish and if they're very observant, you know how fussy all this can get. You know, you can't use that microwave. That's only for cheese. And that one's, you know, and I can't eat bacon or I can eat that. It's beef bacon. And, you know, it's all so complicated. Now, also, you know, with the Old Testament law, if you've been around Christianity more than 25 minutes, that there are some very harshly written passages about the Old Testament law. Try this one out from Romans chapter 3. So we are made right with God through faith, not by obeying the law. The Apostle Paul wrote that after he'd been a Jewish rabbi who studied the law. He also went on to write this one in Galatians, which is even more harshly phrased. He says, for if you're trying to make yourself right with God by keeping the law, you've been cut off from Christ. You've fallen away from God's grace. Okay, got it. The Old Testament law is bad. Following it is dangerous. It's unchristian. Except that Jesus is always sticking up for the law. Now, nothing will get me more questions in a Bible study than when we find these passages, and there are a lot of them from Jesus, like we find in um, uh, Matthew chapter 5. Try this one out. Don't misunderstand why I've come, Jesus said. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth until heaven and earth disappear. Not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you'll be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's law and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, while you're busy there hunting for the loopholes, I'm just going to skip right on to Luke chapter 16, where Jesus says, And tell John the Baptist the law of Moses and the messages of the prophets were your guides. But now the good news of the kingdom of God is preached everywhere, and everyone is eager to get in. But that doesn't mean that the law has lost its force. It's easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the smallest point of God's law to be overturned. 
well, now something's up. Either Jesus in the New Testament is right about the law, or Paul, the apostle, in the New Testament is right. So we're just going to take a vote. Except that the apostle Paul, not two verses after he says, so we're made right through faith and not by obeying the law, not two verses later, the apostle Paul writes this. Well then, if we emphasize faith, does that mean we can forget about the law? Of course not, he says. It's obvious to everybody. Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. Okay, this is getting hard, right? Do you feel this getting hard? Do we obey the Old Testament law or not? Now, I find that when I do Bible study, I find that when the heart is confused, like you don't understand why you do something, that often the head can bring you some understanding, some clarity, some what it means. But I also find that when the head is confused, that sometimes the heart can show the way. When it becomes unclear of what exactly the scripture wants you to do, then the answer is usually found in the heart with this question. Well, why are you doing that? I think today the head is confused. You know, what are we supposed to be doing? So why don't we try to answer the heart's question? Why are we doing it? Why does the New Testament say that the law is not saving us? But then why is Jesus sticking up for the law saying it will never go away, even though it's not saving us? So to answer that question, let's begin in the Old Testament with those laws about canceling debts. We're going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 15. It says, At the end of every seventh year, you must cancel the debts of everyone who owes you money. This is how it must be done. Everyone must cancel the loans they have made to their fellow, fellow Israelites. They must not demand payment from their neighbors or relatives. For the Lord's time of release has arrived. Now remember that he said that. The Lord's time of release has arrived. That's why you're canceling the debts. Because Jesus also has a story of canceling debts. This one found in Matthew chapter 18. We call it the, um, the uh, parable of the unforgiving debtor. It's long, but let's read the whole thing. It says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before the master and begged him, please be patient with me. I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me. I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put into prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave your, that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? 
Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid the entire debt. This is what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Now notice this, that he was forgiven first. Then he was asked to forgive. He was saved, in this case from debt, first. Then he was asked to be part of saving others. So on what basis was he asked to forgive that other servant's debt? Is it because there was a law and that's the reason why he should forgive the debt? No. The reason why you and I expected that he would have forgiven that debt, the reason why the king in this parable, who represents God, would have expected him to forgive would be out of gratitude. Jesus says obedience to the law of God, in this case, forgiving others, uh, flows from gratitude for what God has done for us. Now, our question is, is that different than the Old Testament? Does the Old Testament say that we keep those laws out of gratitude? Or does the Old Testament say we keep those laws to be saved? Are we saved from sin by what we do, obeying the law? Or are we saved by what God has already done? Now, we've heard that is the New Testament and Christian version. Our question is, did it say that even in the Old Testament? So we're going to look together to find the answer to that question. And our example this morning will be their laws about slavery. Now, remember, I'm going to take you back to last week. Remember, we talked about um, the covenant with Moses after he had saved them from slavery in Egypt. Exodus 19, where it said, you've seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will obey me, there it is, and keep my covenant. You will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth, for all the earth belongs to me. So he saves them from Egypt first. Then he takes them out into the desert and gives them some laws to follow. And listen to these laws. Exodus chapter 22. You must not mistreat or oppress foreigners in any way. Remember, you yourselves were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. Exodus uh, chapter 23, you must not oppress foreigners. You know what it's like to be a foreigner. For you yourselves were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. Leviticus chapter 25. The people of Israel are my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. So they must never be sold as slaves. And Deuteronomy 15. If a fellow Hebrew sells himself or herself to be your servant and serves you for six years, in the seventh year, you must set that servant free. When you release a male servant, do not send him away empty-handed. Give him a generous farewell from your flock, from your threshing floor, from your wine press. Share with him some of the bounty which the Lord your God has blessed you. Remember that you were once slaves in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I'm giving you this command. As it turns out, obedience to the law of God, even in the Old Testament, flows from gratitude for what God has already done. God doesn't save them from Egypt or Persia because they obey the law. 
He saves them. Then he tells them to obey the law as an act of gratitude. Salvation of the nation from slavery, salvation of our soul from sin is not purchased with obedience. It's a free gift. And it's offered to everyone here today. Obedience to the law is our thank you. And that turns out to be even what the Apostle Paul was saying in that uh, verse in Romans. Let's go back. We've already read it, but hear it again. Well, then, if we emphasize faith, does that mean we can forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, only when you have faith do you truly fulfill the law. Only when you understand what God has done for you can you actually do those things out of a grateful heart. Here's why we obey the law. It shows that I get it. It shows that we truly understand and appreciate what God has done for us. That you have changed. That you respect him now and you're willingly doing what should have been happening the whole time. Now, I grew up in my early childhood in the South among people of meager means. Labette County, Kansas, Grayson County, Texas. And in in both those places, they have this phrase. Remember where you came from. Now, I know you've heard that too, but in the South, it really means something. I want to read you a story that illustrates what it means. I don't, author unknown, the story is just called Mr. Roth. An old man showed up at the back door of the house we were renting. Opening the door a few cautious inches, we saw his eyes were glassy and his furrowed face glistened with silver stubble. He clutched a wicker basket holding a few unappealing vegetables. He bid us good morning and offered his produce for sale. With un- we were uneasy enough to make a quick purchase to alleviate both our pity and our fear. To our chagrin, he returned the next week, introducing himself as Mr. Roth, the man who lived in the shack down the road. As our fears subsided, we got close enough to realize that it wasn't alcohol, but cataracts that marbleized his eyes. On subsequent visits, he would shuffle in wearing two mismatched right shoes and pull out a harmonica. With glazed eyes set on future glory, he'd puff out old gospel tunes between conversations about vegetables and religion. On one visit, he exclaimed, The Lord is so good. I came out of my shack this morning and I found a bag full of shoes and clothing on my porch. That's wonderful, Mr. Roth, we said. We're happy for you. You know what's even more wonderful, he asked? Just yesterday, I met people that could use them. When you're grateful and you remember where you got, what God has done for you, even a poor beggar can be generous. Remember where you came from. It's a phrase about humility. It's about remembering where you came from especially before you go judging others for where they are. Now, in 2001, I reached the pinnacle of my knowledge, uh, zenith of my knowledge about parenting and what it takes to be a parent. 
In 2001, I knew that kids need a routine. And when I watched some of you in the church all running around with your busy, hectic schedules, I judged you because you weren't getting it. In 2001, I knew that your primary job was to share your spiritual values and pray as a family. And when I saw how little you read the Bible and prayed with your kids, my eyes narrowed in indignation at you. In 2001, we were over there at the theater. I watched your kids running around there eating Oreos and drinking orange juice out of a baby bottle. And that's when I knew you were off the rails. It was your job to provide only good food choices. Kids whose parents don't don't buy Oreos at the store, don't run around eating Oreos at church. Be consistent in your discipline, set high expectations. All of this I knew about raising children in 2001. But something changed for us the next year in July of 2002. We had our first child. You must unlearn what you have learned. Now, for the last 15 years, I have received a new education. You can make all the color-coded note cards carefully outlining the steps to completing the household chores you like. Ain't nobody doing the dishes without having to be told in elementary and middle school. You can fill that fridge with carrots and broccoli and grapes until they liquefy with black mold if you like. But if there is a Cheez-It within eight blocks, a teenager can find it and make a meal out of it. I can tell you from experience that a toddler potty trained too early who is at one point scratched by something passing out of there can after that hold it for a week at a time. And even if all the grandparents line up and you're in unanimous agreement that if you uh, administer an enema to that child, they will not be able to hold it in, they can And 18 months of prescription laxatives are not cheaper than the diapers you were buying before. So from time to time, listen to the hippies who say, don't push potty training too early. And don't judge parents when they're struggling. Remember where you came from. Which is why now... Borrowing from the comedian Louis C.K. When I'm at the grocery store and I see that mom and she's got that kid up by one arm and that kid's screaming and she's dragging them toward the door and she's snarling, I told you and I told you and I told you. Now my eyes narrow judgmentally as I say, I wonder what that crummy little kid did to make that nice lady go crazy. Because I remember where I came from. And I remember Jesus who said, and why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own eye? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? When you're grateful and you remember what God has done for you, even a once young know-it-all can be filled with understanding and mercy. And we can all gladly and without fear obey God. When we remember what he has already done. He saved slaves from Egypt. He brought captives back from Persia. He died on the cross. First. Then he said, now obey my law. Come follow me and follow my ways. And now we do. Out of gratitude, not fear. Remember where you came from.
Jesus kept the Old Testament law out of gratitude. And now so can we. Now some of you are very astute and you recognize that this message didn't clear up everything we were confused about. Sure, it covered uh, the Old Testament law of tithing, the Old Testament laws about slavery, the Old Testament laws about canceling debt. Sure, it covered all that. But what about not working on the Sabbath, not even in your own home? What about not eating meat that has blood still in it? What about shaving the sides of your head and the clean and unclean food and all that stuff? Well, it turns out there are other reasons Jesus kept the Old Testament law. And if you come back next week, we will delve into one of those other reasons and undoubtedly take at least one of those other things on our question list. As we do this whole series on Jesus and his interaction with the Old Testament law and what it meant and why he kept it. So I hope you'll come back and explore that with us together as we continue to know Jesus through the Old Testament. Let us pray together, and then I want to share a few things, not just me, but we want to share a few things that are happening, uh, exciting things coming up in our church. Let us pray, though. Father, God, help us to remember where we came from. Lord, help us out of gratitude to know we don't have to uh, please you. You saved us. You saved us from slavery to so many things but before we even knew who you were. Now you invite us to follow you out of gratefulness. And because that's the true way to live, help us to remember that always. And Lord, help us to have compassion on others who are on the same journey we were on. They're, they're just like where we were yesterday. Lord, help us to realize we may not be as far ahead of them as we think. You are good to us. Let us be good to everyone. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. The Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Take your journey and give it in love to everyone you meet today. Amen. Go in peace.